Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to Man in the Mirror with Kai and NJ. Welcome back, NJ. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. Can you hear me well? I can hear you well. I can hear you well. And we are back again this evening. We are continuing our book club. We already we got a lot of catching up to do, NJ. We got we got a lot of catching up to do. We are only on chapter six, and we got many more chapters to go. So we will be doubling and maybe tripling up some tra- chapters by to get there by December. That is the goal. We are reading and discussing Don's Don Wood's book, The Good Work. We are having having these monthly discussions, and they are great about this bestseller. In tonight's episode, we will be discussing Chapter 6 with Don, the O-Word. And I don't know why he wrote this chapter in his book, but, you know, he kind of upset me with that. But the O-Word, a lot of us, our children don't like it. As adults, we don't like it. But the O-Word. Before we get started, if you have any questions or comments, please press the number one on your phone, and you'll be put in our queue. And I will ask um, NJ to open us up in prayer. Awesome. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for being here today. We thank you for once again being able to discuss, Lord, the, the good work, Lord. And we thank you for Dawn Woods, Lord. We just ask you to bless each one of us as we go about the show today, Lord. Lord, let it be your voice, your heart that we hear, Lord God. Uh, instead of our own, Lord, and we just ask you to bless each of the listeners, Lord God, that they might get what you would have for them out of this discussion, Lord. We thank you for all things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 And Don, again, welcome back to the show. I know we missed a few it's things. We missed a few, few couple, a month or so, but that's okay. Because guess what? We still have four months to go to do a lot of this good work, as you would say. And again, I will be honest with you. When you when I read chapter six, I'm like, oh, he's you know cutting a few you know toes and nails and all that good stuff. But let me read a little bit about you before we get started. Arthur Donwood again is a retired educator living in Raleigh, North Carolina. His higher education experience includes teaching business communication publication design, journalism, and leadership at Oakwood University 
Indiana University, Howard University, Virginia Tech, and Winston-Salem State University. This man has been all over the world, basically, all over the globe teaching. <laughs> then he decides to sit down and write write starts to write so like he wasn't finished he wasn't tired of doing anything so he said i'll just start writing and then he goes and gets gets me at chapter six when he says obedience is not a, an attempt to prove to god that we are worthy it is our evidence of it is the re- evidence of real heart transformation and the development of his character then he wrote, the concept of obedience today is that it is a personal institutional matter. Obedience cannot be imposed or even suggested. Salvation is, in today's thinking, a spiritual matter, not a religious one. Then you went on and you opened up the chapter talking about the seventh day of Venesis. Mm-hmm. And as growing up, and I'll just say, growing up, people, I grew up in a Catholic church from, you know, kindergarten to eighth grade. So, and from reading the Bible, and they, they, they should never introduce that to me way back when, but from reading and just having an open mind, I'm like, okay, why are we doing all this stuff? This, this rituals that we do, the hell Marys, okay, you got to get your beads and say, you know, you got to say all these words on the, on the whole, you know, on the beads. I'm like, this is crazy, but it says don't have no gods before me, but we basically worship Mary. So then I grew up saying, hey, I, you know, then Christianity comes in. And I'm saying it's more of, it's not about religion. Because I learned God is not going to say, well, you're, 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 you're a Catholic. Okay, Catholics in that corner. You're a Baptist, Baptist in that corner. You know, it's not about that. It's not about right. that because everybody think it's about, in quote, religion. You know, is your religion going to get you into heaven? No. But I'll say that for another. That's a whole nother ball game. But you start <laughs> off about the uh, or the Seventh Day Adventist been around since 1863, and that's a long time. That's almost like 158 years, if I'm correct, something like that. Right. So and they've been the around. Actual, the actual movement of you know the that was the year that they officially organized as a named church. Before that, it was mostly it was people from a whole variety of the religious denominations that uh, had responded to um, a worldwide movement that was going on in the 1830s and 1840s uh, called the Great Awakening. And it wasn't just something associated with one, one church, but people throughout the world were beginning to study the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation and began to realize that something, something was about to happen. And so a lot of the people who came out of that great awakening period formed the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and it was officially organized in 1863. Amen. So now tell us about what, why did you write, and you called it the O-Word, because you said, well, being okay. not an attempt to prove to God that we are worthy. You know, because the yeah. Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice, so you're you're confused. You're probably confusing some people. But I'm gonna let you well, t- yeah. tell us about yeah. chapter six. I think a lot of people are very confused about the issue of obedience because 
we read, and I think that's one of the things we try to get into in that in that chapter. We we read in the Bible where you know you you see what Jesus said in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then we read what Paul says in Ephesians where he says basically we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves but is the gift of God, you know, lest any man, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so people take those statements and they're saying, well, yeah, see, the, the thing is, you don't, you, you know, you can't obey your way into heaven. You, you know, it's, it's a gift from God. It's, 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 it's grace. It's faith. It's, so basically, all you got to do is just say, I believe. And you're in. And that's it. And you can go on and live your life however you choose, just as long as you believe. So, you know. So if and that that has been a conflict. So when what happens is when anyone ever brings up the issue of obedience to God's word, uh, in many circles, that person gets pounced on as being what they call a legalist or a person who feels that they're going to be saved because they have they you know they have obeyed you know God and so forth. Uh, and and they figure well that's not faith that's 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 righteousness by works, and Paul speaks against that, and so it becomes a conflict because uh, the question is what is Jesus saving us from, what is he saving us to do? You know that's 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 the question. What is he saving us from? He's he's saving us. From sin, he's saving us from the presence of sin. He's saving us from the power of sin. He's saving us from, you know, from the penalty of sin. So if he's saving us from this, why would we continue in it? And the Bible is clear in John, First John three four. Uh, John makes it clear that sin is transgression of the law. That's what that's what it says. Or sin is lawlessness, or sin is disobedience. And so Jesus came to save us from the thing that brought death upon mankind. Think about it. Romans 6 talks about that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Right. So what we're what what Jesus has done is he he recognized that death came into the world because of sin and he's come to save us from that sin. How do we know that we are on the path? How do we know that our life has been transformed? We know that our life has been transformed when we find ourselves by the power of Christ obeying God's law. It's the transcript of his character. That's what tells us what God is like. How do we know what God is like? Well, he gave us the example in his law. He says, basically, this is who I am. And I want you to be like me. He said, 
be ye holy as I am holy. Right? So the only way, what's the distinction between holiness and unholiness? Well, unholiness and sin is breaking God's law. <laughs> so, you know, that's basically the, the, the nutshell of, of, of a lot of this stuff. And that is that we are finding ourselves trying to divest ourselves of responsibility to follow God's holy law primarily because it's not convenient. It's just not convenient. It doesn't go with our lifestyle, and it doesn't go with what we've been taught by religious leaders who don't see that as going with their lifestyle either. So they have created their own gospel to show people that God saves you, but you don't have to listen to him. Okay, you open up a whole can of worms when you say a statement like that, because I got two things. You wrote, Adventists became more concerned about being right than about mm-hmm. obtaining righteousness. I'll repeat yes. that again so the audience will hear it. Adventists became more concerned about being right. This is right. That's right. Don't do this. Don't do that. We're right because this is the way, this is what the law says. Almost, and I don't want to buy thorn stones at me, almost like the Pharisees way back when because right. they were more concerned about what the law says instead of more about what doing the law. You know, they want to show their uh, they want to show their righteousness by being holier than thou, as we say today. They want to show their righteousness about being holier than thou. Then you want to say, you know, everyone everyone now is seeking being spiritual. Then you went on to say, um, spiritual has been distinguished from religious. Spiritual has been distinguished from religious by today's media personalities such as Oprah. The gist is that spirituality is a powerful vibe and less less of a code of conduct. Now explain that, you know, because that'll get a lot of people like, you know, you 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 mentioned famous people name up in there and then you're saying <laughs> spirituality has become more of a vibe than anything instead of what it should be. Yeah, because I think what happens is, is that, like I said, we try to shape, we try to shape our religious uh, life to fit our lifestyle, and what we do is we basically create an environment where we decide that to be a truly spiritual person has nothing to do with any kind of belief system or any kind of law, it has to do with how you feel. It's the vibe you get. And so it's something that you basically are kind of, it's kind of impressionistic. It's sort of, you kind of make it what you want. You've heard people say things like, I know the Bible says this, but the Holy Ghost is telling me this. (laughs) I'm sorry. And so what happens is, What we're saying, what those people are saying basically is this. I know that God's word says X, 
but I really want to do why. So I am going to say that the Holy Ghost is telling me by some means that, um, that what I want is what God wants me to do. And so I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what. And anytime what I want to do is in conflict with what the word of God does, says, what I'll say is this is a spiritual thing, not a religious thing. It's not a pharisaical thing. It's this vibe I get. It's this, this, this impression I get. The Holy Ghost is talking to me. He told me last night, you know, go ahead and shoot your, boyf- your boyfriend's new girlfriend because, you know, I mean, it's, it's like whatever you feel you want, you can spiritualize it and say, and, and say God is the one who gave you that idea. But the Lord doesn't work that way, and he's made it very clear. Jesus said himself, Jesus said himself, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. This is our safeguard. In other words, God's word was given to us to help us to make sure that we didn't have to make up our own pathway to Mm -hmm. the kingdom. Jesus has made it very clear to us through his word what he wants from us and what he expects. Is everything in the Bible easy to understand? No, but it's like, but the Bible makes it clear that when we search for him with our whole heart and when we search his word like we are searching for treasure, is treasure always easy to find? No. People invest in metal detectors and all kinds of devices to try and find treasure. They know that it's worth it. Remember Jesus gave the parable. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds some riches in a field, and then he goes and he sells everything he has in order to buy that field. And what he's trying to say is people for centuries were burying treasure in their fields. Sometimes they buried it and they forgot it was there. They died. Then a new owner of the land comes along or somebody who has been tilling the land and starts farming that land or maybe an an owner of the land. He farms the land and all of a sudden he, he is plowing a field and suddenly, boom, there's this big bag of treasure. And he's going, whoa, this is amazing. So what he does is he says, look, uh, I, first of all, i got to make sure nobody takes this, so I'm going to rebury this. And then I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to go and sell everything I have so that I can buy this field from this man. And then when I come back, even if I can't find it initially, I'll know that it's here in this field, and I will own the field, and it will be mine. Jesus is saying the treasure in his word is like that treasure buried in the field, and our responsibility is to look for it, find it, invest everything we have in finding that treasure. Is it easy? No. But is it important? Yes. And we have to search and pray 
and the Lord reveals to us what it takes in order for us to have the quality of life, the abundant life that he promised in John 10. But for many of us, we're on one end of the spectrum or the other. We're either people who are caught up in our own righteousness and don't want to hear what God has to say about love and about, about the importance of, of, of following him in, uh, in true righteousness that comes through Jesus. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you got people who feel like, well, you know, I can do what I want to do because it's not, it's not, it, it, obedience has nothing to do with salvation. And I can do what I want to do. And God has already made a contract that if I believe, then he's got to take me. I've got to go to heaven because I, I already said I believe. And that's it. And there's no requirements. And it's like, no. If you were God and you ruled the world and people were subject to you, you would expect that the people who swear their allegiance to you would follow you. And if we are saying that we have no responsibility in our Christian experience beyond just giving mental assent, I believe, and you know, okay, so if the house is on fire, if your house is on fire and somebody runs into the room and tells you, your house is on fire, you need to leave, and you said, you know, you've always been an honest guy, and uh, I believe you. If you came in and told me this house is on fire, then I believe you because you wouldn't lie to me. You said, right, okay, so let's go. It's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. He said, well, I thought you said you believed me. Yeah, I believe you. I believe you. I know you wouldn't lie. Well, then if you believe that your house is on fire and you're in mortal danger, it's time to go. He's like, no. <laughs> I ain't going anywhere. I believe. And so believe nothing's going to happen to me because I believe. <laughs> so the key element here is that in the very beginning, Adam and Eve had a choice. They could either believe that God was true to his word and act on it accordingly, or believe God was a liar and act on that. They decided to believe that God was a liar. When he said, and dying you shall die, they said, nah, he wouldn't do anything like that. And when the serpent said, look, if you eat this fruit, you're not going to die. You'll just be more like him, and he's scared of that. Mm. He's pulling it on. He's pulling wool on your, over your eyes because God is basically scared of you, and he doesn't want you to be wise. And so, therefore... If I were you, I would just go ahead on and do what I want to do. And and Eve and Adam, they're going like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah, and then that rule didn't even make any sense. Mm-hmm. And they ate. Yeah, yes, they, they did. They believe that God was a liar, and they acted on their belief. See, think about that for a minute. 
We're trying to tell people today that you don't have to act on your beliefs. You just have to believe. Adam and Eve decided to act on their belief, and they brought death into the world. Jesus is asking us to believe God as Adam and Eve did not in the beginning. But he's also asking us to do the same thing Adam and Eve did, and that was if you believe me. Remember, Adam and Eve had gotten a command from me to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you could eat of all the other fruit in the garden without restriction. They chose it was more important to them to go after the tree that they were told not to eat from and sacrifice all the other things that God had given them. They acted on their beliefs. God is saying to us today, I'm now giving you the same choice I gave them. I'm telling you that I have the gift of salvation and the gift of eternal life for you. If you will deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Believe me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's the command of Jesus. Well, in order to do that, you have to believe him. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to believe him, you demonstrate your belief in him by denying yourself, take up your cross, and following him. And the only way you can deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him is to obey his word, whatever it says. Yep, you're right. You're right. So basically and you're this saying – the denomination. This is not a matter of denomination. This stuff is clearly written in God, God's word. So if you're a Catholic or a Baptist or a, or a whatever, in God's word, it says, those who want to be in the kingdom, Jesus made it clear to his disciples just before he went to be crucified. You, if you want to be with me, if you want to be like me, and you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that's just worldwide. That's everybody. That's not. Um, right. That's not as you say. That's not the Adventists. That's uh, not the Catholics. That's not the uh, uh, Baptists. That's not the New Baptists. Whatever you want to call yourself. He didn't say if you were. This, if you were that, take up your cross. He said as a general statement, meaning all, whomever, mm-hmm. take up your cross and follow Jesus. And we get into these categories where, you know, that they're holier than thou. This religion is just holier than thou. This religion is better than that religion. Religion is not going to get you into heaven. Now, you, am, am I right? I'm just saying religion is not going to get you right. into heaven. In other words, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus talked to the woman at the well, and she, her interest was really piqued at this point. And, and this was one of the most powerful conversations in all the Bible, because this is one of the few people, if not the only person, that Jesus actually flat out came out and said, I am the Messiah too. And in his conversation with this woman, after he told her things about herself that she didn't know, that she didn't think anybody would have known who was a stranger. She said to him, okay, all right, obviously 
you're not just an ordinary person. Okay, so you and you're you're there's something about you, and I and I and and I and I wanted to talk to somebody. I've been thinking about this, and my question is, where 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 is it that God wants us to worship? Because we Samaritans think of worshiping that worship should happen on Mount Gerizim, and you all say it happens in Jerusalem. So where is the where is the place where the the holy place? Where where is the place that God wants us to worship? And Jesus said, "Look, let me make this clear from the start. Salvation is of the Jews. Okay, so salvation is not of the Samaritans. I'm just being straight up with you. Salvation is of the Jews." He says, "However, the day is coming, and actually the day is now." He's saying, "When those who really follow God." Well, it won't be an issue of Jerusalem versus Mount Gerizim. It's an issue of who worships God in spirit and in truth. Because God is seeking those, he said, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. You cannot worship God in truth if you deny that he has a law. You cannot worship him in truth if Jesus has said with his own mouth, why do they call me Lord, Lord, and won't do what I say? Wow, that is a powerful statement. You know, we're, we are at our halfway mark, and we will come back. And I know Nichelle has some comments. I know she okay. has some comments, but we are at the – and questions, and we're at the halfway mark. Um, we will have, and, and I, I, can, I don't even know how to back that statement up, but I'm not even going to try. But a note from a few of our supporters, Music Instruction for All Learners Arts Academy, where the arts knows no bounds. If you love the arts, like photography, dance, culinary arts, and art classes all online, go to MIFAO Arts Academy website at www.mifaoaa.org and check them out. Or call and talk to our Dean Lavender to get more information, 833-643-2563. And I'll let NJ come on and give us some information about Boss Radio Live with NJ. <laughs> Amen. You can catch Boss Radio Live with NJ every second and fourth Friday on Facebook at Boss Radio NJ or on YouTube, Boss Radio Live with NJ every second and fourth Friday at 6 p.m. We have had some amazing shows. We've been talking about some uh, business issues. We've been talking about um, human trafficking. We've been talking about sexual abuse. It's been a lot of different topics that have been on the show uh, and some really uh, great series that are going on. So please tune in second and fourth Fridays on Facebook or YouTube, 6 p.m. to Boss Radio Live with MJ. Okay, now we will move on to We Need You, Oh How We Need You. And this is our heart's cry. We need Oh, how we need you. Oh, how we need you. 
We are back live with Man in the Mirror, with Kai and Michelle, and our special guest, monthly guest since 2021 in the middle and the midst of the pandemic, with Don Wood himself, author extraordinaire, with his first book, The Good Work. And we are at chapter six, and I'm so proud of us because we are actually doing this thing. We are at chapter (laughs) six. So now, and we still have 12 chapters to go, so we may be, you know, we may be doing like for the next couple, maybe three chapters of three chapters in the next Mm -hmm. few, we may have to go into 2022 is not a hard thing. 2022 with this thing, but we're going to get through it. But anyway, I would like to bring NJ on and see what she has to say about everything we've been talking about. Because she's been quiet in her little corner today. So, you know, I want to see what NJ has been, has to say what's going on before I move on, because she has, chapter six is not that long, but um, when she's finished, I have a couple, I want to I want to talk to you about what um, Paul, what was going on with Paul and what was yeah. going on with James, you know, the, the yes. two doctrines. Yes. All right, NJ. <laughs> you can't put baby in the corner. Okay. Just FYI, just letting you know. But <laughs> this was, a, this was a, a good chapter, and, and yes, very quick, very short chapter, but it was good, and it really put me in the mind of uh, uh, Galatians when uh, the word tells us to, to not use our liberty for an occasion to the flesh. And mm-hmm. too often, <laughs> that's exactly what we do, which is what you were talking about, essentially. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what I was thinking about when, when you all were talking about this particular chapter, because you know, the word is still the word, mm-hmm. and we are supposed to o- obey the word. You know, the word tells us obedience is better than the sacrifice. We we do have to come to the realization that, you know, we have choice, um, just like right. Adam and Eve, when you were talking about, we have that same choice, and we can choose to be obedient, and we can choose not to, but we have to realize that Whatever choice we make, there are consequences. Yeah. So you know that's what I was really thinking about with this chapter. And so you know I thank the Lord that He led you to write this to really remind people, you know, that the word still is the word, and we still are supposed to be obedient, but it's definitely our choice, and and we can choose which side we stand on with that. But I know as for me, I will choose obedience. And if not, then I know I'm going to serve some consequences or, or, or have to deal with some consequences. And I think people need to be real about that. So I thank the Lord for you bringing that out. Yeah, thank you. You know, Jesus made a very... Well, Paul made a statement in Second Corinthians 5, which has always been a, uh, a stunning statement to me. Paul kind of tried to sum up what Jesus had done. And he said, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And think about that statement for a minute. What it's saying is, 
that Jesus, in order to save us, he didn't come down to excuse us. He came down to save us. Okay? And he lived this perfect life so that he could become the perfect sacrifice for sin. What he did was, Jesus became the embodiment of all the sin in the world from Adam until the end of time. And God the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus, who was now, who had become sin for us. God poured out his wrath on Jesus, and that wrath was poured out against lawlessness and sin and evil. God basically took Jesus as the the big ball of sin and poured his wrath out on Jesus and Jesus died the death that we should die in order that we might live. He did not excuse our sin and we have to be very clear about that. God did not come down here to say, oh, it's all right, I love you and I forgive you. That's not what he said. What he said was, oh, it's not all right. It's so not all right that my wrath is kindled against sin. But rather than pour that wrath out on you, my son and I have decided that I will pour out my wrath on him. And sin will be addressed because the whole sacrificial system was built upon the idea that the innocent dies for the guilty. So the, the big thing was that Jesus was able to be just like the sacrificial lamb that had no spot or blemish. The sacrificial lamb didn't need something to die for it because it had no sin. And so Jesus didn't need to have, like the high priest needed, to have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he could offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But as our great high priest, Jesus did not have to have a sacrifice for him because he was the sacrifice. And he gave his life so that we would be free from sin, which is lawlessness. So when you are free from sin, what do you do with it? Do you go back and do the same thing again? Of course we don't. Of course we don't. But I mean, do. the thing is, that's see, people use Paul, and you know, we're going to be talking about James and Paul. People use Paul to try and justify not recognizing God's law, and they'll say, "Well, yeah, you know, we we don't we don't need to we you know we don't need to do all this stuff." But what Paul said was. What? Do we then continue in sin because we are basically saved by grace? No. He said, God forbid. 
He says, do, he says yeah, we magnify the law. But people skip that part. They, they're caught up in the idea of well, Jesus nailed the law to the cross, Colossians mm-hmm. 2. But here's the thing. What did Jesus nail to the cross? As a matter of fact, it wasn't even that the law was nailed to the cross in that, in that chapter. The point that, Jesus, that, that, that Paul was making when he was talking about this in Colossians is that, as I mentioned in this chapter, there is an overriding theme in Paul's letter because he kept running into it everywhere he went as he tried to spread the gospel. Jewish converts who still wanted to kind of hold on to the ceremonial laws were following him all over the place, teaching the people he just taught that, yeah, even though you have accepted Jesus, you still need to be circumcised. You still need to keep the feast days. You still need to do this, that, and the other. And Paul was saying, wait, 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 hold it. You righteousness is not circumcision. And if you read a lot of these letters that Paul wrote and you see the theme that's going on in the letters, you'll see that the big issue when Paul starts talking about we're not saved by deeds of the law, he's using that as a kind of a, a, a of an overarching kind of metaphor for circumcision, which was the big issue. Right, and he's saying, "Look, he, he, you know, all that stuff, circumcision, Passover, and all these kinds of things like that. That's it was it was sin and the and the and the and the ordinances of the of the Pharisees, not the not the Ten Commandment law of God." But the ordinances that had been added and added and added, some 600 laws that had been added by the Pharisees, ritual washings and all kinds of things like that, those things, Paul says, those got nailed to the cross. But he's not talking about what James calls the royal law, the Ten Commandments. He's talking about ordinances that had been put there that pointed to, in many cases, the coming of Christ. But once that happened, in other words, if the Passover lamb has come, why do you keep sacrificing a Passover lamb if the real sacrifice has come? And so that's what he's talking about. So in that chapter… In, 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 the, in, in chapter 6 here where I'm talking about here, and I'm mentioning the, the issue of the people try to pit James versus, versus uh, Paul. Right. And people say, well, okay, well, Paul said we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And they're saying, so obedience is works. Well, Paul, then James comes out and says, look, faith without works is dead. I'll show you my faith by my works. Mm -hmm. And so people are going, wait a minute. How can you have both? 
one of these guys is wrong. It's like, no, neither of them is wrong because they're not in conflict with each other at all. James was talking about one situation. Paul was talking about another. People in Paul's day, people in in those times, the Jews believed that being a child of Abraham was a guaranteed trip to heaven. Uh, and being, we lost you there for a second. We lost you there yeah. for a second. What did you say? Start that statement again. People in Paul's okay. day. Yeah, people in Paul's day thought that being. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. People in in Paul's day, and they thought that being a child of Abraham was a guaranteed trip to heaven. Yeah, okay. Okay, in other words, being, and just the way some people feel, like I'm a Catholic, I'm going to make it. I'm a, you know, I'm a Jew, I'm going to make it. I'm a Baptist, I'm going to make it. I'm an Adventist, I'm going to make it. In other words, it's like I'm in the right faith. I'm in the right religion. Paul is saying, yeah, I'm in the right religion. Well, the, what Paul was saying was this. Let's figure out why Abraham was considered a righteous man. The Bible made it clear that God counted Abraham's faith, his belief, as righteousness, right? So the issue was this. God had commanded Abraham to circumcise all the males in his, in his camp. And Abraham believed God and did exactly what God said. That is not an easy thing to do to, <laughs> you know, to convince a whole bunch of people who would never had this situation happen. Mm, mm, mm. I'm <laughs> glad I was living back men. then. Yeah, see, this is a bunch of grown men. This wasn't a bunch of babies. This is a bunch of grown men who Abraham was so convicted that he had the word of God commanding him to do this. He circumcised all the males in his clan. Well, God said, he believed me and he did what I said, and I'm counting that as righteousness. Mm-hmm. Okay? So Abraham believed God and God counted that as righteousness. Mm-hmm. How do we know that Abraham believed God? Because of what he did in response to what he believed. Actions. He accept, Yes, he took action. See, Moses almost got himself killed because he was waffling on circumcising his own children. And he decided he wasn't going to do it. And God met him, and he was about to die. His wife wound up having to circumcise his son. She circumcised his, her son and then threw the foreskin at Moses and, <laughs> and said, mm. Lord, Lord have mercy. You know, in other words, oh God was serious about this. He was serious <laughs> about this. Jesus. Moses tried to play it, and he didn't make it. <laughs> Mm. And, you know, fortunately, his wife went ahead and did what had to be done. But God counted Abraham. Can you imagine having to confront a whole group 
of men, grown men, and saying, uh, fellas, listen, uh, <laughs> let's talk for a minute. <laughs> I, got, I got something uh I got something we got to do, and um, now some of you might be a little uncomfortable with this, um, and and but I got to circumcise all of you. Uh, what is circumcision? Oh yeah, okay. Well, let me tell you. Let's put it this way. <laughs> let's talk about that. But we got to do it. Abraham could have said, "Nah, you know these guys could get up and kill me. I'm not going to do this." But he did it. Because he knew that God was telling him to do something. So Abraham's faith and his belief was, 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 was demonstrated through his action. So James was saying the same thing. His thing was he wasn't, but he wasn't talking about circumcision and stuff when he was writing what he wrote. He was talking about the fact that the people were not treating the Christians were not treating people right when it came to helping those in need. They were trying to say that they were believers, but they weren't demonstrating it by obeying God's commands in the Ten Commandments about loving their brothers. And so he was saying, look, don't play it. If you say you believe, then act like you believe. If don't 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 say to a person who's in need and you have what it takes in order to feed them or help them, don't say go away and may the Lord bless you. He says you do something. Bless them. <laughs> and so he's saying, look, if you're out here proclaiming that you have faith in God, then you need to demonstrate it. I demonstrate my faith in God by the things I do, by obeying him. And he says, if you are claiming that you obey God, but you're not doing the things that are loving for your brothers and your sisters, then you're a liar. And if you break one of those ten commandments, you've broken them all because the commandments aren't just a bunch of ten rules. It's a set of of manifestations of the character of God in a person, and it all weaves together. And if you break one, you've broken them all. You can't say, well, I, I, I may have stolen, but I didn't kill. <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Any deviation from God's way is sin and is worthy of death. Mm. But by grace and through faith, we are saved from death by the sacrifice and the love of God. And that's all he's asking us to do. Follow me. Follow me. Mm. Well, sir, you make it sound so simple. Follow me. But and you know what? That's we all know. <laughs> yeah, that's where it gets complicated. That's where it gets complicated because we have so many religions, so many things going on. But I like how you're ending this chapter, um, Isaiah 8, 1, 18 and 22. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are like red crimson, they will be like wool. If you can... If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. 
But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then you say the contrast is stark, but the conditions are clear. And that's what you've been talking about. Obedience and its benefits or rebellion and its consequences. I'll say that again. The contrast is stark, but the conditions are clear. Obedience and its benefits. Okay, that sounds reasonable. Or rebellion and consequences. Because people, when our children rebel, we are, when anybody rebels, you know, there's consequences for anything that we do. It's just mm-hmm. choosing obedience. If just choosing obedience were that simple, why do we fail so miserably? How do we get to the point where obedience becomes our joy-filled norm? And rebellion repulses us. I like how that's, I love how you said that. How do we come to the point where we break free from the shackles of sin and find find consistent obedience and faithful living a reality? The answer: heart change and learning to trust. Heart change and learning to trust. I'll say that again: heart change. And learning to trust him. And he puts in there, keep reading. Yeah. Because the next chapter seven, seven is, uh, he should have stopped at seven, but he kept going, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, chapter seven, because <laughs> seven is the number for completion, but chapter seven will be the good work builds trust. The good work yeah. builds trust. Any, any closing remarks, Michelle? Amen. I just thank the Lord for the discussion today, and and I hope the audience was blessed and that they heard the Lord's voice speaking to them today um, and just reminding us that we still have uh, a, uh, I forgot the word I wanted to use, but we still are supposed to be obedient. Um, regardless of, of what our flesh tries to tell us. Amen. Amen. Yeah. We have Until to have I... responsibility. That's what I was trying to say. Oh, okay. Okay, tell our listening audience again, uh, Mr. Don, how they can contact you, get a copy of the book. Give them all your information. Okay, the book is available on Amazon. It's uh, the title of the book. The complete title of the book is uh, The Good Work. God Never Throws Away Anything He's Working On, uh, and um, it's, it's, it's available there. Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I'm at Don at Woodcom, W-O-O-D-C-O-M-M.com. And uh, and they can email me uh, at any time, and I'd be glad to uh, share any, anything I can with them. Um, and one thing I just wanted to kind of – one text I wanted to kind of leave at the end here is the one from Deuteronomy chapter 5, when God is just basically kind of talking out loud about his desire. He's trying to – he's talking to Moses, and he's just saying, oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always. 
that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. That's God's desire. Amen. I, I can't even beat that. You know that that it was that that's a beautiful word that it may be well with that's God's desire. Like you said, that it may be well with them. I would like to thank all of you who have been listening to us and sharing "Man in the Mirror" with our author extraordinaire Don Wood. Our book club is growing. And you are listening and getting detailed information from the author himself. So, you know, we're the first ones to do this. So when he makes it big, he's not going to, when he continues <laughs> to make it big, he's not going to forget us little people over here. If you have any questions, his <laughs> no. information, you know, he just gave you his information. So I would text him, call him if you can, or if you just get on his website and he'll give you all the information, just get there, buy the book. It's a great book. Uh, I'm definitely enjoying it. I can't wait to get to the end with him. But with all that said, this is Kai and NJ. And as always, we will see you at the mirror. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.